Matthew chapter 5, verse number 5 today. And I walked through the Beatitudes here. We have seen the first two already. And since they are Beatitudes, I'm giving them Bs for captions to help us remember them. When we talked about blessed are the poor in spirit, our B word was bankrupt. Blessed are the bankrupt. And we spoke of that two, week, two or three weeks ago. Verse number four, blessed are those who mourn. Our B word, bleeding. Blessed are the bleeding. Today I give you another one. Blessed are the broken. Verse number five, blessed are the gentle, or you may have the word meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Lord, we have much to learn. Much, much to learn in this life. We thank you for your constant work in our lives, your incredible patience with us, the mercy that follows us every single day, all the time, your goodness that's been showered upon us, your grace that has lavished upon us. You have loved us and love us still in such an incredible degree that we are very blessed people. We can just start with the first word today and say, yes, we are blessed. But we have things to learn about those who are blessed. And the scripture here says they are gentle, they are meek. Help us to understand today that we might serve you better, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I use the term broken on purpose. And I'm going to actually tell you what the whole sermon's about in the first five minutes here. Alright? That doesn't mean we're done. It's just, so you know where I'm going to go. It's an unusual term. And I would even add, a bit unused in our day and age, because of the term broken, the way people use broken in Christian circles, uh, as to how God uses broken people and phrases like that. I, I'm not going to say yes or no or right or wrong. I'm just going to give you my definition this morning so you understand where I'm coming from when I speak of this term, blessed are the broken, because it deals with our usefulness. It deals with our usefulness. Just as blessed are the bankrupt, the poor in spirit, dealt with our pride, and blessed are the bleeding, those who mourn, dealt with our, our great spiritual need, our sinfulness, and our response to it. Blessed are the broken, it deals with our usefulness. Or if you want one word to go with it, it's called obedience. Obedience. When, when we think of a bleeding beggar being satisfied... We may think that his desire would be to exchange some sort of service for the grace he's received. How many times have you felt that way when somebody's done something for you, you desperately needed, and you felt like I should repay them somehow? We're like that as human beings, aren't we? 
we feel there should be a response. We should do something in response to what they have done. And many times we do that on the Christian scale. We think of all that Christ has done for us, and we say, well, now I'm going to... And we even sang it in some of our words today. Because of what Jesus has done in his atonement, I'm going to live for him, or some of the phrases we've used here this morning. Um, Here's a fact that I know. The Lord is not content with a token appreciation. His expectations of us as those who know him. Are you ready? He expects complete obedience. Do you believe that? He expects complete obedience. Here's the simple statement of what we have this morning. Those who are broken are educated in the Lord's school of usefulness. They're educated in the Lord's school of usefulness. Their will, their strength, are for serving Christ. But they're only through Christ that they have that. And they're more than willing to do so because they want nothing more than to please their master. And this is going to be a check on the heart this morning, to be honest with you. It's a very close examination of our own heart. How many of us have for a motto, I have been bought with a price, therefore I shall glorify God with my body. What a motto that would be to live in light of that. You see, brokenness is a consciousness of a duty to obey and a willingness to do so. There's a verse in 2 Timothy, hold your place here in Matthew, but in 2 Timothy chapter number 2 and verse number 21. I remember the passage very well on several reasons for that. One is that uh, not only is it uh, a significant verse to me, one that kind of sums up a lot that I, I want to be, but also I, in my old Ryrie study Bible I used to preach from and I don't today because it just collapsed one day. I mean, all the pieces and pages just popped all over the place, and I can't even carry it very easily. But that that copy my son got a hold of when he was about one and a half years old with a pen, and he decorated that page. And so I always knew where that page was. I just looked for where his pen marks were all over the page, and I said, oh, yeah, it became dear to me that way. But it became more dear to me in this verse 21. In context, Paul is writing about those who um, want to name the name of the Lord, in verse number 19, and he calls for them to abstain from wickedness. Abstain from wickedness. And he talks about what vessels are useful to the Lord in verse number 20. And we're not going through a big study of all this, but simply put, there are, there are a variety of vessels. Even your house would represent that. You have nice dishes for certain occasions, and you have the old Tupperware, and you've got the old mixing bowls, and you've got a variety of, of vessels that have different uses. But the point is, they need to be useful when it's time. What good is the most 
expensive and beautiful bowl on the shelf if it's full of all kinds of uh, filth and dirt and, and render itself useless at the time it's needed. This is what Paul is writing to Timothy, and he says, well, uh, if you're going to name the name of the Lord, abstain from wickedness, because the Lord uses vessels. And he says in verse 21, Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from these things, that's the wicked things he mentioned earlier, he will be a vessel for honor. Sanctified, I mean set apart for a purpose. Useful to the master. You might have meat to the master's use. Useful to the master. That is underlined in the Bible right in front of me right now. That's what I want to be, folks. How about you? Useful to the master. When he needs you, are you ready? When he needs you, are you available? When he needs you, are you clean? Paul was writing to Timothy about these things. And he encouraged him to be useful to the master. Now that's a significant statement to me. It's a very significant statement. And that's not the exact word that we're going to study here today, but it is in that context that we're talking. Blessed are the broken. Jesus said they are gentle. I'm going to tell you what it is not first. Then I'll tell you what it is, just to keep that balance going. Right? You want to know. We're talking about what it is. I'm going to tell you why it's so difficult. And then I'll tell you why it's so necessary. What it is not. When we pull up a dictionary term for broken, we generally get the concept of splintered or fractured or ruined or useless as that kind of concept. It's a picture of taking a beautiful porcelain cup and dropping it on the floor. And it shatters all over the place. And, and what you have is something that is now quite useless to you. And generally, we scoop it up and we throw it away. When people become broken, physically broken, we don't throw them away, do we? I hope not. There was a dear lady in a church that we were in in Indiana. She had polio when she was young. She was quite advanced in years when I met her, about 10 years ago or so. Um, she had polio, and so walking was difficult in the first place. And there was just a really, really tough couple of weeks in her life while we were there where she... she her ankle fractured on one foot and her leg broke on the other foot. The other leg. It was the fourth time her leg had broken. And poor lady's laying there in bed. You know, can't do a thing about it. She was then diagnosed with cancer. You say, whoa! We didn't throw away Marilyn. She was physically broken. We knew her value to us, especially, if I could say it that way. The way she loved us, the way she prayed for us, sweetness, 
I mean, all the way through all this, there were difficult days. You could only imagine. Very difficult days, but her sweetness to us. And we knew that eventually she would go to glory and she'd be walking streets of gold and, you know, those phrases we use all the time without any complications of polio or broken bones or cancer or anything like that. The Lord took her home and we rejoiced the day he did. But we did not throw her away because she was physically broken. And some of us have had broken bones too. We're glad nobody threw us away. There's another term that's used today as the concept of broken due to sinfulness. Something that has happened in your life, you've been broken because of it. That's not the term I'm going to use here either. That's not what, when I say this is not what I'm talking about, I'm not saying that's, that's not true. I'm saying that when I define this word, that is not what pe- Jesus was talking about. Okay? It's not that kind of a broken that we're dealing with here. It's really not even an issue of sin, so to speak, about being broken because of sin. Because here's the simple thing. Jesus was gentle and meek. And he didn't wrestle with the sin nature, and he didn't have a history, and he wasn't trying to overcome some sort of thing in his life. He wasn't broken that way, was he? And these are the words that Jesus speaks that were to exemplify. He's not talking about that kind of brokenness. All right? What it is, is what I'd like to emphasize today. Because it comes from the word praus, which sounds really fun, doesn't it? Praus. That's a Greek word, praus. Uh, it does simply mean gentle. means humble. It means meek. Those kind of words are in there. But it also has to do with the term broken in the sense of an animal trained for service. What's the first animal on your mind right now? A horse. What good is a wild horse to you if you're going to hook it up to your cart? One that has no training whatsoever. You might get the bit in its mouth. But once you put the harness around that thing, once you strap it to your wagon, are you willing to jump in? They have this phrase, which you've heard a lot, I know, around these parts, of breaking a horse. And when you break the horse, you're not diminishing its power. Are you? You're bringing that power under control. That is the word you're looking at here today. Power under control. People associate meekness with weakness. It's actually, so many pastors say that when they describe this, it's almost a cliche anymore. But it's not about weakness. It's about power under control. The Lord Jesus was meek. Was he less powerful? Not at all. It's power. Power under control. Robertson in his word study says it's spiritual poise and strength. Spiritual poise and strength. There is an a, uh, aircraft that I've always been very impressed with. I saw this down at the Lackland Air Force Base. It sits out on their uh, parade grounds. And some of you have been there. 
Some of you have gone down maybe for yourself or your children or somebody to watch a graduation. And I got that privilege when Philip graduated uh, from that uh, training with the Air Force. So we're walking around looking at all these planes and there's a SR-71A. Some of you say, I know what that is. It's got a nickname. It's called the Blackbird. Incredible aircraft. I've always been impressed with that. I got my picture taken standing right next to it. Reach up and touch that. It's like, wow, that's pretty cool. That airplane is impressive. In its day, the fastest thing out there. Powerful as can be. It says it, sets, it set a record in 1976. That's quite some time ago. 2,193.167 miles per hour. Is that impressive? Wow. It was cruising about the altitude of 85,000 feet when it did that. That's moving fast. That's moving very high. That is very impressive. But if it had no controls, all that power would be dangerous. But being under control, it had great usefulness. That's an impressive airplane. I was impressed with that. That was one thing that impressed me that day. The other thing that impressed me was this. For 18 years, I tried to teach a child how to make a bed. The Air Force taught him in one day. <laughs> that is power under control. I was so impressed at what they were able to do. To change a young man to think his will was theirs. When they said jump, he jumped. That was impressive to me. The whole fact is that, that uh, an instructor came along, and by the time he was done with them, my son thought their way, worked their way, acted their way, did it their way. He was broken to be useful. I thought that was very impressive. When, when Jesus talks about the Christian life, I think this is a very good term for it. Where we, we look at the education we need that we might be useful and submissive to our Lord. Blessed are the gentle is the word we hear read. Blessed are the meek. In Philippians 2, verse number 8, it speaks of our Lord Jesus as being found in the appearance of a man. He humbled himself. By becoming obedient. Now, isn't that interesting? Becoming obedient. He took on the appearance of an obedient servant. He put on the appearance of an obedient servant. Now, that doesn't mean he was like a Hollywood front, and behind he really wasn't obedient. He knew that the Father called for obedience, and he was a servant of his Father's, so he took on the garb of the servant. How many times did we see him serving people? How many times have we read of him doing something to help somebody else out of the Father's will? One time we read of him taking on the garb of a servant and washing the disciples' feet. We have this picture of Christ pretty easily seen in Scripture, that he became obedient even to the point of death on a cross. 
there's an interesting psalm. Psalm 25, verse number 9. It says, The humble will he guide in judgment, and the humble he will teach his way. Let me change the words on you, because they're the same words. The meek he will guide. The meek will be taught his way. And then let's use our B word. The broken he will guide. The broken he will teach his way. Jesus said this once. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Let that sit in your mind just for a minute, because we're going to look at that closely in, in a, a, a real important thing. It's in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 and 29. Let's back up there. Matthew 11, 28 and 29. Because there's three things I want you to see, especially in this passage. Matthew 11, 28 and 29. Come unto me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn it from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Does it seem to you to be interesting? He says, come, you're tired, let's get to work. What do you do with the yoke? You put it on your animal when you're tucking him in for bed at night, right? Because he, he just wants to feel secure. No, a yoke is not for rest. It's for work, isn't it? Jesus said something rather incredible here, and I'm sure that the audience listening to it said, Okay, this is unusual. Come, I'm tired. Come, you're distressed. Come, you're heavy laden. Come, you're wearied. I will give you rest, so put on my yoke. A yoke is designed for two. You generally, we talk about a yoke of oxen. There's two. They say it's not uncommon when you're training a new ox to pull the plow that you place it in the yoke with an ox that's already been broken. It's already been matured to usefulness. The young ox might tug and pull and fight against the weight, but the older one knows to keep his course. Sometimes he even pulls the younger one alongside, who's resisting all the way, in order to become submissive to the driver. Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. He's not saying, you go out and do it yourself. Here's the beautiful thing about this whole concept of being broken for usefulness. Jesus does not say, now you figure out how to do it. I'll just stand over you and make sure you do it right. He says, I'm going to climb in there with you. He says, you can learn of me. You can learn of me. I know where we're going. I know how to do it. I am the one who came down from heaven. And boy, you're never going to have a bigger step than I did in this process. But I came down from heaven, took on the appearance of a man, and I 
became obedient to my Father's will. And when you do that, and you learn of me, you will find rest for your souls. Just consider something in this, and I think it's, it's, it's probably easy to understand, but it just needs to be stated. Our principal cause at times for distress, and for anxiety, and for frustration, and for uncontentment, is not from your situation. It's not from your circumstances. It's the struggle you put up against them. It's the fight that you put in to that process. Because here's the simple thing. According to this verse that we're looking at right here, the more submissive we become to the Lord, the more we know that we have rest, (laughs) which our souls are longing for. It is a stubborn and self-willed way to think that his yoke is heavy. And the more stubborn we are, the more self-willed we are, the more we're going to say it's hard and it's heavy. The more compliant we are, the easier we find it and the lighter it gets. Quite honestly, I think you have to walk down that road to understand that best. But more times than not, check where is your struggle. What is it that's causing the distress? Why are you so resistant to what the Lord is leading you to do? Check the heart. That's generally where the problem is, isn't it? It's on the inside. It's not the circumstance. It's not the situation. It's a, it's a heart on the inside. Jesus is our teacher. He's the epitome of what it is to be meek and obedient to his Father. He drank of that cup because it was the Father's will. He was led as a lamb, Scripture says, to the slaughter. He wasn't drugged there. He was led. He was reviled. He did not revile in return. He was buffeted. He did not threaten in return. He was very king of meekness. If anyone was broken in obedience, it was Jesus. Because that's the same term he's using here. Gentleness of strength, submission to the will of Father. He didn't bend God's will to make it what he wanted it to be. He didn't compromise in any time for an evil thing. You see, here's what's fascinating about meekness. Meekness is not a weakness. It's not a compromising thing. It's not bending things so that it matches up. Meekness will be obedient every single time. Always obedient to the Father. Always giving up more and more of self for more and more of God. That meekness that led Jesus to the cross also led him to take a whip and walk through the temple a week before 
and clean it out of the money changers. He was not out of control. He was obedient to his father. That's meekness. That's power, because his concern was the father's glory. Paul wrote to the Corinthians in an interesting way. In 2 Corinthians, he says, Okay, you say that my letters are strong, and yet my appearance is pretty weak. He says, I'm coming to visit you. How do you want me to come? Very interesting paragraph there. Just all the way through, you're sitting there almost cringing, thinking, oh, Paul, don't come in my place. Because he was upset. Because, number one, they were equating gentleness of his approach to correcting them with a weakness. He says, I'm going to come to you, and I'm going to deal with the issues that need to be dealt with. When Paul wrote to the Ephesians in chapter 4, he says, I beseech you, as a prisoner of the Lord, that you walk worthy of the calling in which you are called, you are called with all lowliness and meekness and long-suffering, while you forbear with one another in love. That's power in a passage that's incredible. He's a prisoner, and he's beseeching them. He's calling them to walk in a manner worthy of Christ, and he's telling them to be humble and meek. And he's telling them to forbear with one another in love. You see, folks, that's power, spiritual power, spiritual maturity, spiritual obedience under control. Under control. I have a friend that used to serve in the uh, sheriff's department at the prison, in the county prison. He said back in those days, it's different today, back in those days, they had a way of convincing prisoners to do what they wanted them to do. He would learn to be very aggressive with prisoners. And the Lord called him to ministry. He says, you know, in those board meetings sometimes, it's so hard not to grab an elder by the throat and throw him against the wall. And I say, you can't do that. He was like John Wayne in the pulpit. It was incredible. When you, he just, this aggressive, because he had been taught that aggressiveness, striking fear in the heart of somebody, was a way to motivate them to do what they're supposed to do. Now Jesus had all the power in the universe. If he wanted to scare somebody to death, he could. But look at the example he set before us. And he says, now walk this way. Take my yoke and learn of me. Walk this way. There's a gentleness in this picture. This is what Titus was told by Paul. In Titus 3, verse 1 through 5, he says, Remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed, to malign no one, to be uncontentious, to be gentle. Right in the middle of all those powerful words, be gentle, showing every consideration for all men, for we once also were foolish ourselves. We were disobedient. We were deceived. We were enslaved to various lusts and pleasures. We spent our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. Now, he's not saying, okay, you know, you've been there, you've been broken by sin, you've got scars up and down your arm too, so you don't go and compare scars. He says, you have learned obedience of the Lord. 
That's what you're teaching them. Yes, we've been there. But we're different now. You're now in the yoke with Christ. It's not about your disobedience. It's not about their past. It's talking about your present. Are you obedient now? That's what he's commending Titus to talk to the people about. You've been there. You know what it is to fight against it all. But the goal is to be gentle. It's not manufactured, by the way. Let me tell you this. You cannot manufacture meekness. You cannot manufacture this obedience. You can't manufacture that alone. That is a spiritual activity. And there's only one person who could produce that in you. You know who it is? That's the Holy Spirit's department. You have to submit to His work. He makes us useful. It doesn't come by self-effort. It comes by spirit effort. This is God's work in your heart. So if you're being submissive to God's Word, if you're reading it, you're learning from it, you're practicing it, you're doing it, this is the Spirit's work in your heart. He will make you useful. You ever thought you weren't? Have you ever sat back and said, I'll never be used by God? It's impossible. Look at my past. Look at what I've done. Look at these things. Look at these things. I've known people like that who fought with that for years. Said, I just can't be used of God because. The very same person I, I think of every time I think of that right now is in an incredible ministry today because he realized God makes people useful. That's God's work in his heart. God's work in your heart. Being submissive, being trained, being useful, because you're broken to the will of God. You know why that's so difficult? I bet you could give me the reasons just as easily as as I could give it to you. It's contrary to the world's way, isn't it? The world conquers by power. They conquer by might. It says the meek shall inherit the earth. I think that's almost comical when I read it. You don't win the world that way. Nor do you win God's favor that way. It's contrary to our sin nature. If you are not poor in spirit, then you will be self-sufficient. If you are not mourning over sin, then you will be self-righteous. And if you are not meek, you will be self-willed. This is what God does in our hearts and in our lives. He doesn't want you to be following your sin nature. He, the, the problem with being meek is contrary to the love of self. Because meekness is giving up of self. It's letting go of that grip that we have. The old Scrooge complex. I love the description of Scrooge in uh, the Christmas carol. He was a tight-fisted hand to the grindstone Scrooge, a squeezing, a wrenching, grasping, scraping, clutching, covetous old sinner. I hope I didn't describe anybody here. Sometimes we're like that, aren't we? We won't let go, because we've got our grip. The old Puritan Thomas Goodwin said this, So what if God takes away from me more of the world than others if he gives me more of himself than others. 
Robert Murray McCheney, a guy you should get be familiar with, didn't live very long, about 30 years, desperately wanted to go into ministry as a missionary to the Jews. He wanted to go there. Instead, he had a terrible disease that he could not recover from. His frustration in his diary, over and over and over again, of how ill he was and how much he wanted to go. And he didn't understand it at times, why the Lord had him there. But these words he did write. He said, I find I am never so successful as when I can lie at the feet of Christ willing to be used or not as it seems good in his sight. That is a broken person. He's submissive to the Lord's will. We fight, we pull, we grab, we hold, we kick, we scream, we resist. We expend all our efforts at being unuseful. Then to surrender to the will of Christ and to find ourselves useful beyond our wildest dreams. Why is that necessary, folks? I'll make it simple. It is your basic need as a Christian. It's a basic need as a Christian. We are to receive with meekness the Word of God. Because the wrath of man cannot do the righteousness of God. That's basic. It's either your way or God's way. Which are you going to choose? It's your expectation. Peter wrote it this way in his, in his uh, letter. Very first words off Peter's pen. I find it very interesting. I'm just going to read it to you. I know I've got to quit. Our time's up. But let me read this to you. Peter wrote this. He's writing to those who, he's talking to believers who are spread all over the face of the earth. They're chosen by God according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit to obey Jesus Christ. That's how simple it gets. He saved us to obey Jesus Christ. He sanctified us. God chose us to obey Jesus Christ. And sometimes we separate those terms, don't we? Sometimes we say, okay, I belong to Christ, but that obedience thing, I'll get around to it later. Uh, It's essential to the Christian life. It's it's the importance of what we're called to be. Obedient. And that reflects itself in brokenness. Are you useful? That means you've been educated. Educated to be useful to the Master. That's where I want to be. That's where I want to be. How about you? Test the heart today. Think about these things. And Father, as we submit ourselves to you right now in prayer, we realize that the lives you've given to us are not for our own self-interest. They're not for our own self-glory. You have given to us a life to be lived for your honor and glory. A life that should step each day, each moment in obedience. We are called to be broken so that we're useful to our Master. 
Lord, this is a test of our heart today. It truly goes deep. Because we've got wills that are very strong. And we want to submit them to you. So that our will is your will. And our way is your way. And our work is your work. You know how to apply this to each part here today. And what difference that will make. You know what to do. For you're the one who wrote this word. Blessed are the gentle. Blessed are the meek. And I pray, Lord, that you do that great work in our hearts this day and this week to come. That we might see a marked difference. And as a result of that, our Father gets the glory. Thank you for your careful, faithful, gentle, patient, loving work you're doing in our hearts even now. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.